0: So I click this. Georgie, is this? Am I coming through all right?
1: Yep, check. One two, one two. I can okay, hear you. Okay, good.
0: I'm, just, I'm more used to blue jeans than this. Um, sorry. Uh, you've oh, you got this set up very quickly, Georgie. I'm
1: great at logging on.
0: Hello. Oh God, what's Hello? that? Oh, oh, Antigone. Hello? Hi. Yes. Sorry. You're, you're, I can, you're coming through just fine. What? C- Antigone, can, can you hear me? What? Can you what are hear me? You?
2: Um.
0: My voice should say? be coming into your ears now. No, I
2: can't. Hang on. Hang on. No, I... Do you... No, um, shut up. Um, um... It, where's where's, where's Rudyard? Just, is, just, he, just...
0: Is, he, is he coming? Reverend, Rudyard.
3: stand up. Reverend. Rudyard. Reverend. Reverend, stand up. Reverend, I need you to balance. <laughs> balance, Reverend. Reverend, up, up. A bit further. Rudyard, let, you're, you're coming through watch. just fine. I Rudyard. think you can let the, the
0: Reverend go no, now. That's it.
2: Just stay.
4: Can't What
1: are you doing? Bloody Nora. <laughs> bless um, you. Bless it, you. <laughs> okay.
4: That's the cold open. Are we all here? Everyone's here. Great. Yeah. Tom, you were muted for some Am reason. Am my, that's interesting. Now you're not. Oh. Wonderful. Good. Okay. So I hear French police going by. This is
3: very, <laughs> very exotic. Exciting. They're trying to catch the owner. <laughs> doesn't take wow. much
5: but well, it's a nice siren
0: isn't it it is isn't it it's, it's how i picture a siren sounding <laughs> anyway siren. but it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> what sorry was there something insipid about that that i said what?
6: <laughs> <laughs> no it's just a, it's a great observation i suppose
4: anyway guys what what day is today do we all know what day today Today's is yeah, 10th yeah. Of yeah. September. September,
1: 2020.
4: we are recording this on the 10th of september and it's going out on the feed for the fifth anniversary of Wooden Overcoats, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure how we, we got there. So welcome everyone to this celebration. Yay. Shall we say our names to remind people who we are? Yeah, let's let's
5: go round. Starting uh,
0: with me, I'm Tom Crowley.
7: <laughs> who plays Chapman in the
0: series. Oh yeah, sorry, I'm Tom Crowley, I play Eric Chapman and I write for the show as well.
7: I'm Kira Baxendale, I play Georgie <laughs> in Wooden Overcoat. And you do it so well. That's David
5: K. Barnes. Uh, and I'm Andy Goddard, one of the producers. And the other one is John Wakefield,
4: uh, who said the stuff at the beginning.
2: I'm Beth <laughs> And I'm Beth Air. I play
3: on fun
4: And
6: <laughs> Do don't... I not get to be Kira anymore? <laughs>
4: you can be <laughs> Kira. I am Kira. We're all
6: Kira in our own way. Well, it's, uh,
4: and yeah, Liz, anyways. Liz, tell us to your role. I don't think we had it announced.
6: <laughs> um I'm Liz Campbell, I'm the production manager. Hi. <laughs>
4: Well, welcome everyone to this celebration. We've all got.
6: We haven't had care. We
5: definitely we had care. care. Had, <laughs> no, that was I, David.
7: I, I, I said hello already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also okay. Befair.
8: How
5: have we? How have we even released three series of a
0: podcast? <laughs> I'm in, mate. I don't have anybody else in the room. Yeah, I'm
8: getting. There. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: okay. Is that a gin and orange? Uh,
4: no. yeah.
1: Fipping on gin and juice. So uh,
4: scotch and water, please. So starting this afresh.
1: Am I quiet?
4: You're now very loud, (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Sorry.
6: Sorry. Shall we pick an order for people to go in and then just do it in an (laughs) efficient way? Yes, please.
4: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, John, do you want to just call? Yes, I will let everyone introduce themselves. So, my name is John Wayfield. I'm one of the directors and producers of Wooden Overcoats. The other director and producer is? Hi, me, Andy Goddard. And then uh, our lead writer is? David K Barnes, hello. Hello. Oh dear. Our production manager is...
6: Uh, Elizabeth Campbell, hi.
4: And then over to our starring cast, uh, Antigone Fun is played by... Beth uh, (laughs) Eyre. Rodyard is played by... Felix Trench. Hello. (laughs) And Georgie is played by...
1: Kira Baxendale, howdy.
0: And Eric Chapman. Hello, I'm Tom Crowley, I'm Eric Chapman, and also a
4: writer. (laughs) Chapman! So welcome, I thought the the nicest thing to do was we've, uh, many, many, many times when we've talked about wooden overcoats, we've told everyone how the show came about, what happened, and I think most people who listen to the show are aware of that by now. So I wondered what you guys were thinking on the day that we released five years ago when we actually put that first episode out into the world. Uh, David, can I turn to you first? When the episode first went out into the world, I,
7: I, I'd imagine as uh, the time when we first came up with the idea it, Felix had probably just stepped out of the shower at that point, the fact that we did. I'm sure the water was probably glistening upon his shoulders. The water often glistened upon Felix's shoulders and I probably remarked upon that and thought, in the light shining off the droplets of water now running down the small of his back is the future of the wooden overcoats which could go on for seasons seasons could even go on for, for four seasons of terrific episodes and I saw our futures intertwined in that moment along with those of everybody else in this program we're currently recording and I thought what a wonderful thing we might even reach five years potentially if if there's a delay to the fourth season five years
0: <laughs> and, what a, and what, a, what a wonderful thing that'll be <laughs> sorry david can you say that about felix getting out of the shower again just because i'm sitting record on my zoom
7: we, we'll have an extra 10 minutes of it oh, excellent
4: <laughs> and uh what about felix tom beth kira you'd recorded the show it had all been done nobody had heard it yet What did you think uh, the future held for Wooden Overcoats at that point?
3: Uh, I found my my tweets. Oh, well done. On September 24th, 2015, I tweeted, It's out. It's out. It's out. (laughs) Ring the bells. Hug your children.
8: (laughs) Whoa. A sitcom
3: is born. Hashtag Wooden Overcoats. Then I tweeted, we're number five. We're number five. <laughs> and still are today. <laughs> In
6: what? Yeah, what was the ranking?
3: I don't want to look it up. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it was the Euros, wasn't it? <laughs> Euro what? <laughs> the, right. the football. Oh, right, yeah, that's <laughs> was fifth.
6: Yeah. Yeah,
3: we'd, nice we'd just beaten Denmark. In Euro 95, yeah, yeah
0: I remember
4: it well. It was good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think, like... I remember on that day that me and Andy had sort of worked for some reason, like we often do till about two minutes to midnight, Uh or probably more likely three in the morning before the the file got sent up. And then the next day, actually watching it appear on all of the iTunes charts on the sort of new and noteworthy pages and realizing this is actually a thing. This is going somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there was still a question of, will anyone listen to this, you know? That's the sort of main feeling I remember. And not to be cynical, I was also very excited, but there was also the thought that, hey, you know, a lot of people put a lot of work into promoting this and making sure people are aware that it's coming out. And even so, you know, the first few people that that downloaded it straight away, supportive people on day one, getting involved was lovely, but I had no concept whatsoever of just how many wonderful people would not only listen to it, but give us money to make more.
3: I think not a lot of people did listen to it. We started tracking download figures from about week 3. Yes. And we still do, I, I haven't looked at them, but I seem to remember that it was something like 17 people downloaded the third episode yes. on release
1: date. Yes. They were all my mum. <laughs> and it's <that was> still <laughs> and
8: a personal
5: best.
1: One of one of them was me. Oh, um, great. And me.
5: Oh yeah, I pre Liz being on the show. You were just yeah. a fan. I say just, just oh, a fan. I mean, like also <laughs> also a housemate <laughs> of several people in the show.
6: <laughs> well, and, and that's I can I can tell you exactly um, my my feelings and thoughts on the Dave release. Even though I had absolutely nothing to do with the show at the time, um, I lived with David and Felix and saw how much. Work and effort and strain and love had gone into it, and I remember all you guys coming around to our flat to talk getting about it way. and getting in the way, all those cups of tea. And I remember when it finally released, and I listened to it right away, and I thought, Oh my God, thank God, this is excellent. <laughs> 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 I can, I can, I can look David and Felix in the eyes. <laughs> all of their efforts universe. have been worth Imagine it. Imagine it. Um, Oh man, I mean, you know, you get you get nervous, um, but yeah, mercifully, all the hard work was uh, was worthwhile, it was great, and then I um, slowly elbowed my way into the show, so.
4: Not that slowly,
0: good come on, you were Lays. there by
4: what, season two? Come on, that's pretty good. Yeah. And have done an amazing job making it possible Years. to keep going ever Indeed. since. It's a brilliant production team and, and crew that we've pulled together for all three seasons and season four, when we uh, eventually are able to bring it to you. So... We sent out a call for many, many people to send in messages, memories, and questions for all of you about the show. And we've had actually an an amazing response from some people involved who you may never have met. Mainly from Kira's (laughs) mum. 17 from (laughs) Kira's mum. And some questions that they will be putting to you in person over the course of this evening. Before we come on to those questions, actually, though, I am... so, David, how has the series in your mind changed over like all the seasons since you were writing the first one? Because I'd imagine the world has changed in your head since then.
7: Yeah. No, I think um, season one is very firmly... Uh, it was about the sort of frust- um, frustration of not knowing how to sort of get started with all the work I really wanted to do. It's, it's, it's firmly about a rivalry. It is about one person desperately trying to take down somebody else who doesn't really know they exist and it was a very good way of me putting all my petty frustrations and, and darker thoughts into one area making it palatable and funny as the show has gone on i think the sense of some of the things where it's really about um have really come to express themselves it is still a show which is about a rivalry but i think increasingly as the show's gone on it's become about found family about um different sorts of family about the ways that um, people can support each other help each other even if somebody is a rival and that's certainly something which we can't give too many details away. Something we'll carry on into the, the fourth and final season. It, it is a show about people working out what it is they want to do and how they can best do it, whilst the sort of the or the, the silliness and the strangers and the background continues to go on. I think overall, it's a show which, despite the fact it's about death, is quite a hopeful and happy show, which is not what I expected it to become. Certainly in the first season when the writers would keep trying to come up with happy endings. And I said, don't do that, I oh, want it sad. And I want, I want everyone to <gasps> fail, I want misery, and said, David, please, misery, I yelled. And, <laughs> and uh, that started to not happen quite so much in the later seasons, and I thought, you know what, some of these people deserve uh, to, things to go well for them. Yeah, um, and I
5: remember when we were giving the brief to James Whittle for the, uh, mm. for the theme tune, uh, I got into my head that I just really wanted it to feel like *Curb*, like to have that like yeah. melancholic but very jolly theme tune, so that every time we got to the end of there was another like deep pit of misery that Red Yard had fallen <laughs> into. There would always be that kind of like *da da da da* when <laughs> yeah, it out. Yeah. It didn't end up like that because James correctly read the show as not something that <laughs> needed that in the long run. But yeah, that, I think that was when we were going into it. That's kind of what we were going going for and trying to make. Like mm. was like the, the funny misery show mm. and it's so not that now it, by by end of season it, 3 yeah it,
4: it is it's so, so beautifully evolved to be about a lot more than that and I think that is something as we'll hear a lot of people appreciate in fact I'm going to go over to a question that we've been sent in from Piffling's new switchboard operator
9: hello hello are you there
4: I, I know who that
0: was
8: <laughs>
9: <laughs> it's Miss Scruple here I've got
10: a phone call <laughs> putting you through now, dear. Hi, um, I hope this isn't coming in too late. <laughs> my name is Rose. Uh, one of my best friends found Wooden Overcoats earlier this summer, and I binged it all in like a week. And I've just finished my second re-listen of the series. Um, I just think Wooden Overcoats is so delightful. I love the characters, and the town, and the way they're all developing. Um, I <laughs> cried at the end of season three both times. It's just so lovely. Um, wooden overcoats hit such a fantastic balance between hilarious and ridiculous, and also just like so tender and real. I think about the quote that Bijou said all the time: "I am the most important person in the world, and so are you." Was that backwards? You are the most important person in the world, and so am I. It's so stunning. Um, My friend who introduced me to it, between the two of us, we've (laughs) campaigned to get a lot of our other friends listening as well. Um, And I've got my sister and a couple cousins on it. And slowly but surely, everyone in my life will understand what I mean when I say, enjoy yourself. Um, I just really love wooden overcoats a lot. can't wait for season four and i do have i guess one kind of production question um with so many different writers how do you work to keep the voicing and the characters consistent also i just have to express my undying love for madeline the like the narrator is a mouse this is the greatest conceit of maybe anything ever um thank you so much for wooden overcuts and i can't wait for more
0: oh thank you rose
6: oh wow Love so you. kind
0: of, Rose, to send in a, a lovely message like that. Very, very thoughtful and kind message while also hiding from the Blair Witch. I thought that was really, <laughs> <laughs> that could be the supreme sacrifice there from Rose. But thank you so much. <laughs> I, was, I, I really
7: like Madeline being highlighted as well. It was Madeline played by uh, Belinda Lang in narration and Holly Campbell in all the mouse squeaks. A really good fusion of uh, acting talents that create this one character.
8: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
7: as we, in, in terms of, uh, Rose, in terms of the question about scripts and the sort of consistent voice, I suppose usually at the beginning of each season I meet with all the writers, we all come up with ideas I have together. Sometimes se- uh, people come up separately or they have time to think about it later. But I think there's a great deal of, of writers being involved in sort of uh, pitching of the ideas up front. And as, as the seasons have gone by, it's been easier in a sense to sort of think, oh, I want to play with that character, I want to develop this aspect, I want to do this and that. I suppose one thing is I often, um, on the whole, rather than giving ideas to writers or indeed plotting the season in advance saying, I want to do this, this and this, now you're going to do this and this, I like the writers to come up with their ideas first and I want to see what are the other writers excited by, because if they're excited by something then the listeners are likely to be excited by it too. Once I find out what the writers want to do, I then start sometimes plotting the rest of the season around it. I'll always have some ideas up front, but I like to sort of plot things around what other people are excited by when all the scripts are in and I'm very involved with helping writers do plot stories and afterwards I do a little uh, polish and, and sort of brush up myself of scripts to make sure that um, things are consistent across the series. It's always about just creating things that are consistent. It's never about a writer a script that doesn't work. It is always a case of A scene has been written where Antigone does this, but Antigone also does a similar thing in a later episode, so I sort of get in there to change things up a bit and make sure that things are kept consistent, but there's a good amount of variety. But I think it really comes down to the writers all tapping into the voice of the series, which has been always great to see across the four seasons and all the many seasons we've done. We've had lots of other writers involved, including writers from other podcasts. Um, It's about tapping into that world, and people really want to play in that world, um, the sort of playground where All the children are actually adults, but they haven't really realised it yet. Tom, as a writer who I've now edited several times, you've always found it absolute torture. Well, the way we
0: capture the voice of the show is that David just rewrites everything as soon as we (laughs) send it in.
7: No, that's actually not
11: true at all. No,
0: uh, it's it's a fantastic process every single time. I have a wonderful time writing for the show. I mean, I I have an advantage in that I was there from, from day one of the idea kind of first germinating and then turning into the show we now know but i'm also going to correct you a bit david because um you suggested that welcoming other writers contributions to the structure of the series is a recent thing and i have to say one of the impressive things about you as head writer right from the beginning was that you invited plot ideas straight away and you know the series arc was sort of loosely there when you began but it was deliberately very simple you know the the eventual murder mystery bit of fun at the end of series one was was kind of already in your mind but other than that you weren't saying right this episode is going to be about um reverend wavering getting into riding stilts you have to go write that now like you were very very <laughs> permissive with all the writers about contributing ideas early on and no i think
6: spoilers where oh, <laughs> is, it is that,
5: that, that episode I don't give up the stilts <laughs> material <laughs> as long as
0: i don't tell them that he falls off them and dies oh, no. <laughs> oh no! Uh, but no but you you did straight away oh, let us mean. all contribute our own ideas for episode plots i mean i wrote the little death uh, where antigone yeah. goes to watch french cinema and um, french cinema uh, we're all drunk here <laughs> for sure <man>. uh, <laughs> i wrote the little death uh, series 1 episode 3 antigone goes to watch some pretentious french cinema and uh, that i think was just an idea that we had sort of spitballed together at some point and said well what would she do for fun and we thought well go and see some really depressing Continental cinema and you know that was something that was Part of that process of just quite organically absorbing ideas and, and letting the writers tread their own path to some degree Which I think hugely contributed to series one. So you're a liar yeah, I've, I, In many ways yes, and I will consistently lie throughout yeah. this program.
2: You also read through like
7: Yes, I, I I do have a weird thing where before once I have all the scripts in I take each character one by one and read through all of their dialogue across the whole season in a row doing as best an approximation of their voice as I can to try and make sure that the voice is consistent, L- that the dialogue is consistent. Let's hear them. What better I can't time the to hear them. I can't the
0: do all of them. I them. What better time than our fifth
7: anniversary? Do the
1: Georgie.
7: Georgie. I need to get out some yeah. sort of uh, dialogue to, to do it in. So What uh, are you great at, David? I'm
1: great at doing
8: dialogue. Uh, <laughs> let's
7: just grab, because we, we can edit all this out later. Um, <laughs> but I need to try and find one where you actually say a lot. OK, what about this one that Tom wrote? Yeah, where's Georgie? Okay Um, You're happy now Eric Yeah Chapman Eric you can't do this So I don't actually do Her actual accent Because I can't That sounded spot on to me Stop saying
0: things It was like there were Two Kira Baxendales
7: On the call right now Ah Chapman (laughs) Think of the worst Five word sentence possible Mum and dad are back Oh dear (laughs) I just (laughs) re
2: Imagine living with eh, that. Eh, <laughs> what?
7: Eric Chapman, Mayor of Piffling. It's repulsive. Just think of him up there on his throne, clutching his gavel. you will never live it down. Mm, gavel, exactly. We <laughs> <You> can't <laughs> let a man like that govern this whole Stop. entire island. He's got to be stopped. I do that. Yeah. And uh, then we all do. do, do
8: Just across oh, the yes. square.
3: There's
2: <laughs> everyone. No,
3: shut up! What are you saying?
8: <laughs> <laughs> spiders. I
7: like I, like doing, I like doing Sean Baker as the mayor. Go, He's not even wearing a tie. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I. I, I know, it's so good. It's, it, it, yeah, it's it's something I, I try to do, and it, it, it amuses me if nothing else. At home by by myself, sat here not able to leave my flat, as reading the scripts out again, all in order, doing all the voices myself. That's uh...
4: well. Uh, on the subject of quarantine, just for a second, and and turning to some sort of nice little character traits feel a segue coming on guys <laughs> oh, yeah. i am gonna go back to piffling's brand new uh, switchboard operator
9: hello we've got a message from jam <laughs> i'm putting you through
12: <laughs> hello wooden overcoats team so firstly i would just like to say that wooden overcoats has been my anxiety cushion during this pandemic it's uh, such a wholesome thing to come back to again and again, and I love it so much. So thank you for that. Um, I have a couple questions. So the first one is, how have the people of Piffling been dealing with quarantine? So any ideas that you might have about that, I would love to hear. And question number two is, what type of birthday cake would each character choose? Happy birthday, and I'm so looking forward to season four.
3: Aww.
7: Oh, thank you, birthday oh. To thank you very much. Thank you us. Thank you very much. We should we should ask our, uh, our central cast what what sort of uh, cakes and what they what their
4: characters would be doing. Okay, here we go. Absolutely. I think Antigone is the one I'd like to hear first.
2: Yeah. Um like cake-wise, I think something with very very dark, very rich chocolate um with um coffiny decorations or um, something, something very black, maybe spider's webs, maybe mm, something in terms of quarantine, I don't <laughs> think she would mind it particularly. I think she'd be fine. It's a good time to get on with things.
7: Would she even have noticed? Of inventing <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> It depends what season, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> to, be- to begin with, no, it's possible she hasn't noticed. I
0: like, I like the idea that. that in the arc of Antigone, gradually sort of uh, blossoming like a beautiful flower, Socially, uh, that she would just one day decide, "I'm going to go out today and I'm going to hug somebody," and she'd go and find, <laughs> let's be honest, probably Bill or Tanya, and just throw her arms <laughs> and say, "You're a person, I appreciate you," and they'd scream and pull their masks up over their face, and squirt her <laughs> yeah. back, and she's going, "I don't know what's happening," and uh, run back inside, and that would put paid to her social development for another five, ten years. Um,
4: Rodyard, Felix, uh, th-
3: there's a an ongoing trait of Rudyard that doesn't get picked up on much, which is that he is coffee mad. (laughs) That's true. Every time coffee is brought up, he is brought to an absolute standstill and can't think of anything other than having that coffee. Mm. Um, So he probably would want a coffee cake. Uh, As far as (laughs) pandemic is going, I suspect that he's got a bit of a scheme to try and get as much of the village out and about and mingling. Um, and just spreading <laughs> the virus oh, Does, does Rodyard oh, make wow. conservative?
7: <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's only two candidates
4: oh. Desmond and you But before that there was the um, the, oh, yeah. the, the, the underpants oh, guy Oh yes, yes. Major, major undercrackers
0: Oh Yes, yeah. Major undercrackers Created
4: by me <laughs>
0: again Yes
7: <laughs> I mean Piffling fairly is essentially like it's, it's, it's a sort of a low level of tyranny isn't it? It's many despotism yeah. <laughs> and yet mm. no one minds Oh dear! I hope. Well, so. it's, a, it's just
5: it's a one-party system. Like, there's still <laughs> democracy, and everyone turns up and votes, but no one has stood against Desmond because no one could be bothered. That's the that's the that's the And, and I think there's well, I mean, I don't want to get too sidetracked by the you know political realities of piffling, but like... it's a benevolent <laughs> dictatorship. So we've got right. coffee
2: cake,
1: chocolate
4: cake. <laughs> Kira, what is Georgie's birthday cake?
1: So I'm thinking like a treasure chest of cakes within a cake of every cake flavour you can think of. And I, Georgie would definitely have just baked it herself because she's great at baking cakes. But wait, Kira,
0: hang on. I can think of three birthday cake yeah. flavors. Can you really guarantee all three? Lemon
1: drizzle, yep. cheesecake yep. flavor, chocolate cake That's flavor, all three. carrot cake oh, nice. flavor, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, walnut and hazelnut, and rainbow flavor, and orange flavor. cake, and... Chocolate orange, Good. and velvet cake, and that that <laughs> one with the cream in the middle. Sponge. Sponge <laughs> <laughs> that's
8: Sponge your standard.
5: Flavor. That's your standard. What, would the, cake. <laughs> what would the treasure <laughs> chest cake be made of? Would that be a gingerbread? It's also made of chest? cake, <laughs> or is it just made of cake as well? Right? No, so You know, online through. when they've Holy. got
1: these things that are all made of cake, and it's like a dead person, or like. Yeah. Like a Nintendo or a fish. It'd be one of those. (laughs) Why
0: did
7: you go to dead person first? Yes. Yes. (laughs) What an The
4: Holy
0: Trinity. It'd be a life sized coffin.
1: Or a treasure chest. Something exciting. Something a bit out there, you know. It's not just a cake.
4: And how is Georgie dealing with lockdown, Kira?
1: Bloody brilliant. (laughs) I feel like she'd be one of them people who gained like 11 million skills and is like... I learned 15 languages, playing the ukulele whilst riding a donkey inside the house kind of vibe. <laughs> smashing it, basically. She'd be smashing yeah, yeah. it in every way. Great. Absolutely. Quarantine. How about, King of quarantine. How
4: about across the square at Chapman? Well,
0: I think we, had, we all can be in agreement that he would find a way to turn the Blonde Supreme into a cake and it would be every bit as successful. He'd make just one for himself, everyone would have a slice and then he'd have to end up franchising it into like a multinational cake business because everyone liked it so much. <laughs> uh, I'm also, David, I'm gonna pitch you the episode now, right? So yeah, yeah. Rudyard notices Chapman's is receiving these huge like fulls of hand sanitizer, antibacterial wipes and face masks. And he, he thinks, oh gosh, what a dreadful man. He's hoarding all of the crucial PPE. I'm gonna phone the press, Sid, Jennifer Delacroix. And then he calls them all around saying, look, it's an expose, I'm mounting a journalistic expose of Chapman's for hoarding crucial equipment. And then the second they arrive, they see him uh, freely donating all of these products to the people of Piffling. And it ends up being an enormous PR coup for Chapman's. I think that's what would happen. Uh. Well, i have afraid we've already, we've already got that
4: as the, as the series finale.
7: Oh, so thank you.
8: <laughs> oh not again. Oh, spoiled it. <laughs>
4: What did we say your birthday cake would be Blonde supreme. Blonde a, supreme. Blonde uh, a Blonde Supreme, supreme cake? Yes, white well, chocolate and caramel. Mm. On confection, we have another message that is coming in.
9: Hello, <laughs> I've got another telegram for
2: you. John is it's amazing. It's from
9: Rachel, Ooh. and it says, Hello, I have been a fan of wooden overcoats for a couple of years now and it has stood firm as my favorite comedy podcast since i first listened to it my question is how long did it take chapman to get through all of antigone's memento mori chocolates (laughs) does he eat them when he needs a quick nap <laughs> thanks and happy five year <laughs> wow. that's a great question. good question
8: oh wow he didn't Ellie let me
0: finish uh, he's getting through lockdown by binging
8: on
0: <laughs> Manto Morris and sleeping through
3: it can we talk about Ellie Dickens for a second oh, Yes, Miss yes. yes. yeah.
0: <laughs>
8: Scruple uh, oh, what a hero what an absolute hero a legend a one
7: scene wonder in season one it's like that one scene in, in Tom's episode mm. but she's become one of your utility characters yes it's just you know I think where
3: we
7: I think Miss Scruple has now been sort of a local busybody. she's helped with mysteries she's been a secretary for the mayor briefly she's whenever we need we think we need someone to fulfil a role I think Miss Scribble can kind of do everything yeah. and show up and usually slow and if, to slow things down to an extent where nothing is actually sort of happening I think the you know she's one of, one of my favourite characters put in there and I think yeah Ellie Dickens what a wonderful performance
4: she is she is incredible and I, I will say we will be hearing from Ellie before this episode is out excellent um Miss Scruple seems to be able to do every single skill that's handed to her, just not very well. She's also the organist yeah. Yeah. Yes. In, yes. in Wedding yeah. in the Church. Oh, like she's God, sort well of like,
5: old Georgie. Like uh, G- Georgie with a I bit was of arthritis. I she,
4: she's loopering
0: mm. Georgie just very slowly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she
0: hasn't got around to it yet. She forgot what she's there for.
1: I'll take her in as my apprentice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, hang on. No, Georgie would have to looper her, I think. But anyway, that'll come. That's that's for season season four, four, and sorry
4: for spoiling it again. Uh, I'm going to throw straight over to another message.
9: Hello. Oh, now I've got a call here from Nico in Israel. Oh, Israel. Oh, where's the. Where's the socket? Oh, where's the. Oh, ah, there we are.
12: Putting you through now,
10: dear. So, excluding Georgie, because that would be cheating, who in Piffling Vale do you think would make the best partner, either in general or for you personally, be it a business partner, life partner, sports partner, whichever?
4: Oh, dear mm. gosh. Who would like to take this one first? <laughs>
0: I'm going to say straight away, and I think this is in uh, absolutely any capacity of, of being a partner, whether that's a business partner, romantic partner or anything, would have to be Bill. Because I feel like Bill has proven himself time and again to be adaptable, sensitive. He's a good protector. Come away, yeah, Tanya. Yeah. You know, knows when to step in. And uh, I think also, you know, has has made people feel strange about the relationship with, with uh, Tanya coming up so quickly after Jerry's demise. But... I think I think he was there for her. I think he, he de- helped her deal with losing Jerry. I think he's a sensitive person, a competent person, and a kind person. And so that's why my pick is Bill. Also has a wonderful sense in
3: uh,
4: paintings. That's the other thing we learned of course, from- yes. Yeah. But, uh, and absolutely.
3: he's an anarchist, which makes him exciting. Yes, yeah.
4: <laughs> that is true. Kira, Georgie, your character has been excluded from this. Uh...
1: Well, I would have picked Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank everyone.
4: <laughs>
0: As would as would have that Georgie, I think it's fair to
4: say.
1: Georgie would have picked yeah. Georgie. Kira would have picked Georgie, but as Georgie isn't allowed, I'd probably pick- Samuel he Oh, yes. oh Bill. thank goodness, Bill's Yay. here. Bill,
0: would you join me in my romantic Bill. adventures and as my Change business my partner? <laughs> Hi, Bill. Uh, B- okay. Bill, okay. It's, it's the actor Tom Crowley here. Uh, well, we've been asked whether uh, you know which, which resident of Piffling would we like to have as our ideal, perfect partner, whether it be in a relationship or a business venture, and I picked you. How does that make you feel? We
1: all want a shag mm. Bill. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh
0: So this is this is the actor Tom Crowley. Yes, no, this isn't Derek Chapman. Than, this is the actor no, than and writer Tom. Crowley. Oh well, in that case, then yes. Oh great, thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll I'll contact your people to make the relevant arrangements, and I'll I'll see you next Monday.
4: Excellent. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> A big hand for Bill. Sorry, <laughs> Bill, <laughs> a.k.a. the
0: actor Pip Gladwin.
8: <laughs> wow, that win. Thank you.
4: And Mr. Bendix, I, of course.
8: And the bearded well, lady. Yes.
4: Many other incredible oh, roles throughout yeah. the series. <laughs> Zones, I am oh. a genius!
13: Zones, I am a genius! <laughs> Zones, am a genius.
6: Uh,
0: Valentino, <laughs> something like Darius Valentino. Darius Valentino, yeah. uh, Darius Darius Valentino, Darius. Valentino uh, Pip Gladwin, the the secret source of wooden overcoats. We've got a
3: couple of actors in overcoats who act as, as flexors that we bring in for all of these small characters, Pip and then Hoy Campbell, who doesn't ask, and sweet. Tanya and, and so on. Oh. Um, and and, I, and Sarah Burton in the first Sarah series. The first one. Uh, uh, and Max, Max Tyler, who, Max who Tyler.
0: We, he was yeah.
5: mostly Jerry before we killed him. That's true,
0: but <laughs> I wanted to say, because we, we killed
4: Jerry and we sort of didn't realise that meant we had to lose Max, which was
0: the Murdered real... Murdered
11: him.
4: Going way back to like series plotting and character development and stuff like that. One thing I love about our series is the fact that every character, whether they have a tiny role or not, is fully formed in the world and has the opportunity to become something bigger as demonstrated by Bill, Tanya, Jerry. And Darius Valentino, especially. Zones!
6: In terms of partner, I thought the obvious answer was Madeline. Oh The, yeah. the Madeline. clearly most oh,
8: competent yes. best uh, resident
6: uh, of Piffling, yeah. best friend, accountant, You'd have to <laughs> uh, award-winning writer, best-selling yeah. author, you know, I mean, how could you, and fits in small spaces and can Rearrange funeral flowers.
0: You have to fight that crab for her, though, wouldn't you? Yeah. But <laughs> well, the crab was a perfect gentleman. We know this now. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I think. I think for me, it's possibly what Reverend Wavering mm. because so I like, just shout. good guy. Yeah. Like yeah. he's just a good bloke, and uh, there's something really nice about having all that doubt in your life. Is there? Like,
0: I don't think that was the only major drawback. <laughs>
4: Constant <laughs> doubt. I
5: like Trying to make
6: a dinner reservation. Yeah. Can you imagine? Oh no, nine, that? no eight
0: <laughs> thirty, no nine.
5: <laughs> but having a partner where like you just know the one problem with them mm. is pretty good. That's like, uh, don't worry, I'll just make the call. It's fine. Like you know, we're gonna have dinner at six. God's real. We're fine.
4: Would anyone else like to jump in on this one? Any suggestions from anyone else? Uh, we're not allowed
3: Georgia Crusoe, but no one said anything about Nana Crusoe. Yeah, oh, nice. oh,
7: nice. Nana Crusoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: You have killed off a lot of characters. In this <laughs> yeah, a lot of characters David, we uh, love, I mean, played
0: by actors we love. So thanks of, very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's okay. I,
2: I've got a live one. Lady Templar.
3: Yeah. What yes. What a show. Yes. Yes, She's Actually.
2: smart. She's clever. She's a kind of nightmare She's in some way. She loves to
3: in out of, you know,
7: out of a, um, a, a hot air balloon and sort of reach the ground. Fiercely with...
2: independent. Mm. Absolutely physical.
7: Mm. Yeah. A very yeah. dashing yeah. eye patch. Yeah. yeah.
4: True. Yes. Yes. That's true. Oh,
2: God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one Steve Hudson stopped us, right? <laughs> oh,
4: yeah. Yeah. Um, Steve, who is the incredible actor who played Mayor Desmond in Series oh, 1 with all his wonderful growls and uh, and so, yeah. laughs there was one line that david had written which was about her having her eye taken out wasn't it, it was, originally it was, a, it was a
7: deadly coconut shy it was a deadly yes. coconut shy yeah. which said um and yes yeah, so i feel like don't be a fool rajah it's all, you can see it's knocked her eye out already and he took me aside and said i'm not sure about this
8: line. <laughs> <laughs> um, i just
7: think it's a bit much because that would hurt wouldn't it and uh, i think she would be in hospital she wouldn't be there, having I mean, the I said, no, you're right, you're right. Oh, and he said, Oh, well, could it be a leg or an arm or a leg you know? off. Oh, I don't know, It's nice. what about oh, a glass eye? You know, she's already lost a glass eye already. He went, oh, yes, yes, that's very funny. I like the glass
8: eye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so
7: Karen went, I went, and in a way, actually, oddly enough, I think so. Sort of the idea of a coconut smashing a glass eye is actually a far more potently violent image <laughs> oh, God, than I the am. one we
0: had before. but. He was happy.
7: I was very happy. In mean, all these years,
0: I never pictured the glass eyes smashing. I thought it had just been smashed out. I thought
6: it she... had been knocked out and rolling under now a pen. I'm, I'm sure they're not having their eyes
0: socket full of broken glass. This is the worst
7: birthday yeah. ever.
1: Uh, and more yeah. sexy, wow. sexy, sexy. That would hurt. It's,
7: exactly. It's, it's all on audio, so we didn't realise how violent this show actually is. But, Oh,
4: dope. That is true. We we get away with a hell of a lot in our, our sound <laughs> effects. Can I a revise
7: my
5: shout to Marlena Magdalena?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to say her, but then I thought it was too obvious. You know. Yeah, yeah.
5: it is a bit obvious, isn't Especially it?
1: Especially as a business partner, to yeah. be yeah. honest. If, if mm. we're having the option yeah. of different
6: kinds mm. of partner, like that—that yeah. that woman's running a successful. To, to be able to run a full circus, on the island of yeah. Piffling with its yeah. limited with residence. Wit. A traveling, yeah, you, know, you gotta. A travelling circus. That's that's some business now. That's it, and
0: we know it just goes up and down again, uh, all day, all year. It just to one end <laughs> yeah. of the island and back again. They're still running down to the other.
8: That's impressive. Unlike I mean, like
0: many festival shows, the audience is probably
5: members of the circus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. just rotating, <laughs> paying for tickets. It's just.
7: Yeah.
3: Like I mean, it's insanely profitable. Oh.
7: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for good business partners. I mean, Herbert Koff He's doing yeah. alright. He right. right. He's keeping he's... a cinema open. In fact, he only seems to have like one person who goes to it. So he's doing incredibly well in managing to you, keep this a going. You've got to think he
5: owns the land. He's got oh, yeah. to own the land to do. Yeah. And also, we've mm. never actually
4: seen anyone ride the donkey. Mr Crumble. Mr no, Crumble, yeah. Mr Crumble, he's got he donkey just right. takes
6: Mr Crumble for a walk.
1: Georgie was riding it around in quarantine.
8: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
6: Can, can I say, it's only just sunk into me now that... The Piffling Vale Circus had forty plus clowns in it. (laughs) What do you mean? That that must be like as a percentage of the population of the island.
8: Half (laughs) Half the island is literal clowns. The other half is it's
7: an incredibly violent series. In that one Mm. season two, you know, season finale, I I got rid of fifty percent of the island in just one fell swoop, and no one noticed.
3: Well, you that's monster. the other town. There's Piffling Vale, and then there's Piffling Circus Town up in the north. Yeah.
8: <laughs> Coolerville
5: up
0: in the north.
8: yeah. Also,
5: I, I've noticed we've had a lot of other town chat. As if Piffling
0: Vale is a town. It is not yet a town. It, it is, is not yet a
5: town. town. It's a time. Time. It's a utopian
0: it's thinkers, Andy. That's the thing. We we all back made Desmond's vision. Oh, sorry for being a realist. Okay. Well, I, I say you're a dissident. <laughs> <laughs>
4: But With that behaviour, Tom, towards the funds, I've got another question that seems to be coming in.
9: Hello, it's Miss Scruple here. I'm getting more and more of these telegrams. They're, they're piling up all over the place. <laughs> Are they? Look, I've got one here. Um,
8: oh.
9: And it says, uh, Happy birthday. Me. This podcast has held a close place in my heart for a long while now and I've always wondered how much do the Funs and Georgie actually consider Erica a friend? Oh. Uh-huh. They put up a front that they absolutely loathe him and that they think a man's a monster, but there's all those moments where they genuinely seem to enjoy his presence as much as they refuse to say it, it seems to me that they do consider him a friend, and that Eric does too, but he just doesn't push it for their sake. <laughs> Thank you for all the lovely work you've done with this podcast, Nisha. Oh, mm-hmm. here's a question. <laughs> <laughs> can i just I say just that person's
0: reading of eric is completely correct uh eric's very sensitive he he definitely considers them a friend and he would never push the issue just uh, out of horror at making them feel uncomfortable he'd never want that i think that's a very uh, correct view of that relationship i've always i mean
7: it's something which i think has sort of gone back and forth as the series has gone on having a rivalry with somebody across the street is great for sort of plots and stories but ultimately at some point you kind of need to bring people together and then sort of explode them again and keep doing that. I was going to ask actually the uh, actors here, how they felt about the sort of dynamic of these characters as it sort of developed in terms of their
0: attitudes to Eric and so on. Well Chapman's secretly a werewolf so he's all of this time, just been sizing them up as a but potential meal. Season four, meal. Tom, oh, come on. sorry, season four. Tom, ah, please. No. Um, uh, a werewolf v- vampire hybrid, and he's just looking for his next meal. Uh,
1: that's my answer.
2: So, what do we think about Chapman, lads? <laughs> I think Georgie
1: just sees Chapman as quite useful sometimes.
8: Interesting. Oh nice.
5: cold. Yeah, I like that.
1: I mean, she tolerates him. She doesn't. I don't think she hates him. She sees the benefits.
0: I think, I think wow. she's annoyed by him in the way that anyone sort of is when somebody's got a crush on them and they feel a bit like they don't want to hurt their feelings, yeah. but it's just like, okay, but just leave it now, you know?
1: He kind of got the picture with that, though, didn't he, Over Chad? time. It took him he, a while. He, he kind of got the yeah. picture. He was getting
0: yeah. there. What do the fans think about
14: Chapman at the moment?
3: <laughs> I think um, Rudyard is, sort of goes back and forward a bit. I think after season one he's definitely accepted him as part of the community and that's the big shift as he's sort of not trying to drive him out of town anymore but he's also driven and painfully aware that this is a man who has stolen his livelihood um it's (laughs) not like that is not something that i think rationally you can go well that's just market forces but it's not it's not something that you kind of forgive and forget. Yeah. But he also knows that y- you kind of have to just get on with your lives and find a-, a way to live with it and a way to all all live together.
2: Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Very beautiful. Stunning. I understand that's a-, <laughs> <Very poignant. laughs> a lovely, sincere silence.
6: <laughs> I think- Especially in a place like Piffling Vale, when, you know, I think what you're talking about with the word community, like, mm there's kind of no getting away from people that's that's the You know, Dave was talking about found family and things earlier but that's that's one of the great things about the setting i think is that these are people who are drawn together by circumstance um and uh, even if you aren't best friends with someone there is a, a certain point where you have to function and have a modicum of respect by just being part of the community yeah
3: and Rudyard prizes the community above anything else that's you know I think you once said David that he he could tell you the history of piffling to the last 500 years but didn't have any idea what was going on in Dover sort of thing
7: yeah I, I think it I mean community being one of the sort of important aspects of the series I, I think it's some um, correct the this idea of there's sort of toleration of Eric because it's easy to do so and he's you know quite a pleasant sort of guy and everything um And as the series goes on, I think they find more opportunities and more common ground. And to be honest, that sort of the core dynamic of fun funerals and Chapman, how it's changed over the years, is a very key fundamental part of season four, as we'll find out when we make and release it. But it's something we sort of go, um, you know, I really wanted to look at because there is that sort of tension in the middle of, yes, we want them to be quite friendly towards each other because it creates nice dialogue and scenes and mutual support. But I think it would be dishonest to push that without recognising the fact that this person did come in. Clearly, not only just with more um, sort of maybe talent and drive, but certainly more resources and more finances than fun funerals. And that, you know, it was a direct threat to their livelihood. And that is something that still needs to be there, that he bears a genuine threat towards how they live and function. He does have all these resources. He does seem to have a business which takes over about 50% of the island by now. with a monorail (laughs) and like, Mm -hmm. Lord knows how many floors
0: and how many businesses. I disagree about Rudyard, personally. I think he only cares about (gasps) Piffling as a vehicle for reaffirming his own position in the world as he sees it. I don't think he fully understands that other humans have their own feelings and opinions if they don't service his position in that community. That's my feeling about Rudyard. You can
3: play him
1: that way. (laughs) Well, Eric. Very Eric thing to say. I
0: also think, yeah, I agree about Chapman, though. I do think that... His obliviousness about completely eradicating every other business on the island is his greatest sin. Yes. Not just the funerals either. Like you know, starting opening a cafe and a pub and a, everything else in a steak restaurant.
10: He
6: he is the Walmart. Exactly. Of our world. Yeah, yes. yeah.
0: And he's a, that's his greatest sin.
6: Well, it's the the big shout out to um, Rudyard makes a friend yeah. in season two when we get. Jerry the baker and his his view of Chapman, who's running a funeral home and still decimating every other industry on the island.
7: Um, yeah, I think Jerry is, despite also being one of our most sort of, you know, unequivocal villains uh, and clearly manipulative of Rudyard, and he is a baddie, um, also has, you know, a fairly sort of genuine sort of grievance, which is my business has been, put, I've been put out of business by this person who didn't need to open his own bakery, where we already had this one.
5: He's very much the Thanos of wooden overcoats. <laughs> like, you know, I've always seen Jerry yeah, as the he has, hero. He has a motivation that has weight behind it, and you know there's a point to what he wants to do. But yeah. his his reaction is disproportional, and that's the oh, reason we dislike yeah. him. You know? <sighs>
4: like, uh, Jerry. Jerry, good old Jerry, bring him back, <laughs> bring back Jerry. Season four, come on. Let's go to a, another beautiful uh, listener message
9: hello it's miss scruple here (laughs) i've got a call for you from oh it's a transatlantic call from newt Uh, Mm. pushing you through now dear
11: hey guys congratulations on five years i was a fan of the show first back in 2015 when i was in high school Yes, quite right um and as you know, people of that age are want to do. Once the first season finished, I immediately got out my laptop and wrote some fan fiction about it. Aww. And I posted it to a website and didn't really think anything of it. But a few months later, I remember I was listening to an interview um, that Andy and David did on the podcast radio drama revival and they mentioned um one that i remember the words exactly said got the voice of madeline absolutely perfect and mine was the only one on that website at the time so i remember thinking oh my god the creators of Wooden Overpose <laughs> found my fan fiction of the show and read it, and they think I'm a good writer. Whoa. And that was such a memorable moment for me, especially because, you know, I was just starting to get into podcasts. I wasn't used to that level of fan creator, I guess, Interaction. So, first off, I wanted to say thank you guys for being so, so generous with my, at the time, definitely not fantastic writing (laughs) skills. And second, I wanted to say thank you so much for helping inspire me as a writer. Uh, Since then, I've put out my own podcast, um, finished that one, am starting another, and I'm in college, which is just crazy considering how time has passed so yeah congratulations again on five years and i just know season four will be amazing thanks guys my question is um wooden overcoats is a show about death which is a very taboo topic but it's also dipped its toes a little bit into portraying mental health um i'm on the autism spectrum and i've seen a lot of my experiences and the things that I do um, in Red Yard and I know a lot of other autistic fans have as well so I wanted to ask um, was it intentional just sort of writing Red Yard as I guess coded as autistic or did that just sort of develop over time as you fleshed out his character more?
5: What a roller coaster of emotions I felt during the asking of that question I mean like I was so terrified when it was mentioned that we'd seen the bit of fan fiction and I do remember that one Uh, and it was very good. I'm really surprised that there wasn't a plug for the podcast that came out uh, in that. Have you I don't know what going? it is. No, I haven't. I think that's that's
4: genuinely, like, genuinely we, we are a, left I, in a mystery.
5: I, I want to know what <laughs> it is. I want to see the development of
7: that bit of fan fiction into what became their podcast. I'd love
5: it's to see it. It's a
1: Madeleine spinoff.
7: Absolutely fantastic uh, to know that you were the person who wrote that particular um, story that we sort of made a, a bleak reference to on um, the uh, radio drama revival. Um, i think i would also specifically say when we first created uh, wooden overcoats the idea that people would not only enjoy the show but would be so inspired by the show to go out and create their own things because we've had people who have um, sort of done uh, pictures they've done videos and they've written fiction based on the show it is absolutely incredible to see that we've inspired that sort of creativity and we are really excited by that um, i would say that when it comes to specifically sort of the fiction. I think we read the first few stories because it was a pure, massive novelty that people were doing this at all. And then quite early on made the conscious decision not to read any more of them, partly ever sort of, you know, not wanting to uh, be uh, too influenced by what people were uh, writing. But also because we thought people want to be able to play with these characters and play in our world without the creators looking over their shoulder. So it isn't something we, we sort of really indulged in or, or, or read ever since those very early days. But I am still utterly delighted um, to hear that. Uh, you were really taken with the fact that because it was it was a brilliant story, and I'm really glad that you caught the voice of Madeline. I think when it comes to the the second part of your point, which was to do with the um, there's mental health of characters and the mental background of our characters, uh, I would state uh, from that Rudyard was not consciously created uh, as a, a, um, an autistic character or somebody with autism. So I, I can't, yeah, you know, I want to make that uh, quite clear that we're not saying that the character is something that they're not. But what I would say about these characters is that I think when we engage with characters that we, who we care about and we enjoy and we like, everyone's individual interpretation of their character, what they see in that character, they sort of shared experiences of what the character does and how they behave and how he, um, one behaves and experiences we've had. I think they're all entirely valid. Um, it is, we, we often have listeners saying that they see elements of themselves in characters in Piffling Vale and that they take a great deal of joy in that, and they feel that with the character voicing something that they've privately felt or held close to them, um, that they feel much more heard somehow. I say there are many aspects to the characters which are almost either incidental or things we hadn't consciously thought, but when our listeners say that they recognize something in a character and something that of, of tremendous meaning to their own lives and experiences, I'm always thrilled especially if if it's sort of helped them in some way, or they found it entertaining, or they've just made it feel warm, or it's made them smile and, and carry on with their day, much happier than they did before. That's a tremendous thing for us. And we always, you know, when people say that, we're utterly thrilled. And thank you very much for your message, because it was such a lovely message to receive. It's so nice. And just, just to build on
5: that, I think, you know, everyone who comes to the show comes from many different perspectives and brings a lot of what they bring to the table. Uh, and as a result, I think there are a huge amount of wonderful, happy accidents that let people have ways into the show. Uh, but again, thank you so much for your question. It's, it's really lovely.
4: I'm going to have another story of someone who's been affected by their show through their life. It's uh, uh, someone, quite a few of us, I think, met at the live shows. So over to Miss Scruple.
9: Hello? Me again? <laughs> You've got another <sighs> telegram. God from help us. Gemma. It says... Congrats on your upcoming 5th birthday. I started listening when I was an aspiring mortuary worker. (laughs) Now I am a full, Antigone level mortician. I can now fully relate to her desire to make people smell their very best in death. (laughs) I find cherry is my go-to scent currently, in case anyone wondered. Not only have you created a wonderful show, but I love meeting you all at the live events. Thank you so much for everything you've done and continue to do. Mortuary Gem. Hmm.
8: Yes. Hello.
9: That
0: you spoke. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> Hello, mystery gem. Uh, Hello, mortuary gem. Uh-huh.
6: As a lovely message. Oh, yes. Congratulations. Yeah. On your... Yes. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: Congratulations. Fully and uh, our Gem endorses Cherry That's as fantastic. well. That's important to say. Yeah. Cherry's a real standby. <laughs> I definitely
7: remember members of Gem at the very. I think in the early sort of show, saying that she was training to be involved with the mortuary yeah, stuff. I
8: remember. Uh, yeah.
7: And, uh, and and does a very a really, really interesting blog. And a while ago did uh, um, ask if I'd like to have a, a tour around uh, Mortuary to see so I can actually know what the, what the thing was <laughs> that I was writing about. Uh, so I shall certainly have to take her up on it. But um, oh, no, I've but loved seeing end- uh, Gem, the live shows. And uh, it's terrific that she's actually had this journey whilst the show is being made and released. She has mm-hmm. some
5: incredible Mortuary stories already yeah. as well. I already had them by <laughs> Series 3. Like,
0: yeah. I'm sure Jem knows far more about the undertaking business than we have known at any point during the production as well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, and he uh, somehow, please doesn't write in hate any mistakes us. we've made. Uh, we won't read them, but please do if it's helpful <laughs> to
7: you. I fine enough. Write them not down to point out the many things we must have got wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> yes.
4: I'd also say a, a wonderful sort of theme that we we've got over the live shows and over the course of things is people giving us scented uh, embalming fluids, yes. scented things,
8: <laughs>
7: scented candles, cakes cakes. I,
4: I've still got the very end of my um
5: cinnamon and clementine dark <sighs> candle. Yes. Oh do. Yeah, 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 I've, I've saved yeah, the end of it Hill, uh, yeah. to, to light over a celebratory drink when we finish series 4. It's Very in nice. It's in cupboard ready to go. Someday. Yay. Yeah. Um,
8: hey.
7: no, the, res- the response of listeners engaging with the show to, to that extent in creating these things is absolutely incredible. Oh, absolutely astonishing. It's been
4: great. We've all been surrounded by these amazing fan creations. And in fact, um, in the emails for uh, requests for messages for the birthday, we, we had some more beautiful fan art that came through of uh, morticians equipment and fun funerals business cards that were just stunning so so thank you everyone i mean it's astonishing that
0: anybody takes any time to make something out of what we've made (laughs) quite frankly can we all agree Mm. it's incredible i mean that's that's an experience which i don't think any of us has had at this level before certainly and it's it's humbling is the word i haven't i've done anything
5: before or since but, you know, I've made a few things with, like, BBC and that, which have, in theory, larger audiences, and no one's ever bothered to draw a thing of the thing that I've been involved in. and it, it, <laughs> no. it's, so, it's so lovely. I'll draw you. No, <laughs> yeah, but please, thanks, Beth. that was great. you could do the John Cairns <laughs>
0: Christmas show, I'm really proud.
5: We'll of will that. draw Andy. That's, the, that's
8: the promise
0: here. That's the fifth anniversary promise.
4: So, just diving back to some more memories from the show, uh, here's another surprise uh, member of the team with a message
9: Hello, Miss <laughs> Scruple here. I've got a phone call from Ella. uh,
12: Putting you through now, dear. Hey, happy birthday, Wooden Overcoats. Woo! (laughs) Hello! (laughs) Uh, Dude, there has been a request for happy memories. So, hi, my name's Ella. I was a runner on season three. Everyone was very nice. And I think that, like, maybe my best Wooden Overcoats memory was when you were recording the end of season three and you were recording, I think it was the balloon scene and I was sitting in the studio with a little script making notes and Andy and John were like looking at the desk and listening and you know, everyone's doing a great job and I remember like I, I lost my granddad a couple years ago but there was just something about like that entire episode, uh, but the way that, that that scene was written that really sort of reminded me of both, you know, the sad things about losing him, but also the comfort and love of my friends and family. And I, so I remember I sort of burst into tears and I distinctly remember John turning and looking at me and sort of just grinning and going, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was delightful <laughs> and perfect and... Uh, thank you all for everything you've done and all of your amazing work. You're a group of fantastic people and you have made a beautiful thing that has certainly made my life better. And it has been a privilege to be a very, very small part of it. So happy birthday, Wooden Overcoats! Woo! No. 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 Oh. It oh. I <laughs>
15: yes it is. Yes it is. You're Thank you, Ella. Group, Thank you for being is. our runner on season three.
0: That's not a small part of it. That's not a small part of anything. My goodness. Oh. I thought I Ella was gonna say John turned to her and said, Where's my coffee? When
4: rather than just like, cheering at her pain. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. Like, oh, horrendous. <laughs> what a monster. monster. Yeah, yeah, monster. Yeah, yeah. Cappuccino, <laughs> two sugars. Like, I, thought, I thought that was going to be the story. <laughs> thank Lovely. you, thank you so much, uh, Ella, for that message. It's really beautiful. It was so good working with you on the show. And indeed,
7: who uh, um, wrote one of our fun fragments? Mm, yes, cleaning.
4: yes, yeah.
0: yes. Yeah. As well. We introduced to <laughs> bring that up. Doesn't even mention that she wrote some of it. <laughs> <laughs> of it. I have. Yeah. I brought it up now. Oh, well, we liked recording
7: very much.
6: <laughs> I wonder if that question's not maybe the time to talk about the the shift to dealing with death mm. in the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, we, we've spent a lot of time making very silly jokes about people getting knocked down by a bicycle at the bottom of a mineshaft, yes. and then also yeah. the end of season three. And uh, I, I have definitely, even in my small role, um, have had a lot of people coming up and talking about how much Wooden Overcoats has has help people with their grief or or, or cheered people up or, or given them some relationship to death. So, so just to I parenthesize
3: mean, there, Liz keeps underplaying herself. She just said small role. Without Liz, we wouldn't have anyone looking after our finances. No one would be making contracts.
0: And filing taxes.
3: No one would but Filing our bloody taxes I tried yes. to write a
5: contract once And I accidentally sold a kidney So
0: like, Andy would...
6: And now I own that kidney <laughs> <That's right. so laughs> no, that It's gone, gone kid. great for me Andy it's
0: would gone literally poor. be
4: piecemeal right now So we need to <laughs> thank you <laughs> for that Absolutely But yes, that episode seems to have had A, a really important role for a lot of people I'm going to throw straight to um, The switchboard again
9: Hello yeah. Now I've got a message for you from,
8: oh, from Peter Wicks. Oh, oh,
9: yes. oh,
13: that's nice. Here goes. Hello there, Wooden <laughs> Overcoats. Wow, the happiest of happy birthdays to you. You're such a, a wonderful, heartbreaking, hilarious, beautifully written and performed show. And it's great that you are celebrating such a, such a milestone birthday today. I um, I love you. You're brilliant, <laughs> and I Thanks. just wanted to share um, some of my uh, fondest memories of you. My name's Peter Wicks, and I was lucky enough to have been a part of the Wooden Overcoats live shows for uh, for a very long time. I played uh, Reverend <laughs> Wavering, I played Herbert Cough, I played all sorts. It was it was great fun. It was especially just just wonderful being able to perform those amazing scripts in front of a live audience. It it's just electric um but i think my fondest memory of performing those shows in particular was uh, the finale of season 3 putting the fun in funerals it's such a it's such an emotional episode as it is but to be able to perform that in front of uh, a crowd was something else and it was just it was just great kind of sitting back there and watching Kira Baxendale's fantastic just tour de force performance as Georgie as she goes through all the pain and, and anguish of having to say goodbye to Nana Crusoe whilst also having you know this wonderful moment of of Desi and Nigel finally getting hitched. It's just a beautiful beautiful episode but my my favourite moment and the one that just always sticks in my mind, was the very end of the episode when Rudyard, Antigone, Georgie and Madeline all take off in the hot air balloon and that beautiful, slow, gorgeous piano music by James Whittle just starts playing as Madeline narrates their journey up into the sky and just being able to to perform that to, to an audience was magical, just beyond beautiful now before i I choke up i just wanted to ask a question maybe two questions i'll try just one linked to that beautiful music by james whittle i was just wondering if any of you have a favorite piece of music from the series so yeah go ahead tell me your your favorite musical motif or here's the second question I just wanted to know: "Wooden Overcoats" is a phenomenally erotically charged show. We mm-hmm. we all know this. We realise
8: <laughs> from yes, yes,
13: saucy French films to <laughs> delightful erotic fiction. I don't know what I'm talking about, but anyway, my my question is this: What what is what is the undisputed sexiest moment in "Wooden Overcoats" <laughs> to date? And can we expect many more in season four? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Thank you. And um, apologies for all of that. <laughs> that was just waffle. But yeah, have fun. Oh. oh
6: what a hero. What a hero: Peter wicks Hello.
13: Oh,
7: Peter of the most lovely people I've ever met in my life. Um, yes, yeah, so see that, and it says, um, Liz was saying earlier, it was an episode which. I think having set myself the challenge for the end of season two of wanting to write a finale where I took a very an entirely ridiculous situation and tried to find the drama in it, I wanted to flip it in the end of season three. Take a very serious situation and try to find not necessarily just sort of the humour in it, but certainly the lightness and the sort of some, some kind of happiness and ability to go forward. Because having realised this is a show which is about death uh, and with all the silly jokes I'm attached to it, that you know, occasionally we should sort of touch upon the, the genuine seriousness of the subject. And it was you know even I mean my uh, my own grandmother had um, been diagnosed with an illness shortly after I started work on season one, and she passed away shortly um, during the process of writing season three. And so though you know, Nana Crusoe was uh, never based upon her, there was an element of that in the writing. If I would like to um, treat the subject with the seriousness it deserves, certainly there comes a point when you're trying to write a season finale of a script which is pr- approximately sixty minutes and you started writing it about two days before it's due to be recorded and indeed have finished writing it as half the series has already been recorded to a bunch of actors who quite understandably would have liked to have seen the script weeks ago so they could properly prepare for it. Um, Where you sit there and go I don't know how to end this script and you think well we do have a fantastic uh, musical composer James Whittle I could literally you know it's 4am I'd like to go to sleep I should just write they get into the uh, into the balloon, and there are some wonderful music plays. And I wrote that in entirely passing the buck um, to James, <laughs> who then came back with the most wonderful piece of music. And if you ask me, my favourite piece of music in the show, there are some absolutely terrific pieces, like the uh, sort of Mexican restaurant music we had in season one. Um, there was some lot uh, those the, the the French cinema music is absolutely terrific. my, my favourite piece is the music at the end of series three, um, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, It says far more than than the writing could have, which is just as well, because I I, I had just entirely collapsed at that point. And it was tremendous listening to it in the live show. In terms of the most sexually charged erotic moments, I don't believe that a single scene in wooden overcoats has been anything other than the most highly sexually charged fiction that's ever been created. But I'd have to throw that question out to everybody else here as to what their favorite sexy moments have been
0: my favorite sexy moment was uh desiree valentino now what's his name it was uh darius valentino played by pip gladwin the magician he's my favorite uh sexually charged moment when he's performing his stage show and screams zones i am a genius i don't think there was a dry seat in the house but uh <laughs> <laughs> the other things i really, really, really want to say at this point are firstly that Peter Wicks there uh, skillfully avoided mentioning uh, that he plays (laughs) Timmy Todd. What's his name? Teddy Todd. Teddy Todd. Todd. There you go. Something Todd. He he plays a a psychopath in the uh, (laughs) the Wooden Overcoat (laughs) Special (laughs) of the Summer Special, and uh, he, he, uh, which is available now. Uh, That's the sales pitch. Uh, The Wooden Overcoat Summer Special. He's a fantastic (laughs) guest performer who's also uh, been an incredible guest performer as our sort of. Our regular live Reverend Wavering, whenever Andy Seacombe, the, the podcast uh, mainstay, is unavailable, he fills in and, and does so tremendously. Uh, he is uh, one of, I think, the finest actors any of us has had the pleasure of working with, ever. In, in a series of
7: so many great uh, actors across the show, so many great guest performances, and, and Peter Wicks in the Summer Special, is one of my favourite guest performances, the, the sheer joyful lunacy in which he forces Eric to read uh, comics from the Beano and the Dandy mm. in, in scenes that must have baffled most of our listeners <laughs> yes. but were there very much to amuse myself and <laughs> I, think, I think he's absolutely terrific fantastic gleeful performance in, in that episode
4: mm. and also um, it's really great that he recognises Kira's amazing performance in that episode uh, as well incredible yes. really amazing Kira for those at home has just sort of done a weird bow into her microphone <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean also and of course I mean, Peter
7: Wicks himself has brought to us some of the most erotically charged moments of of wooden overcoats as, as well.
0: By just being just present. by
7: turning up. Yeah, just by turning those, up. Not they even at recordings
0: or live shows, just by being uh, around yeah. in the world. I mean, yes. I think, I think yeah. one
7: of our earliest episodes being about uh, uh, um, Antigone seeing erotically charged French films and then seeing Eric Chapman in them. is it, That's that's certainly... With, with some ter- uh, terrific uh, French voices from Kieran Hodson and Freya Parker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah.
0: The most criminally underused actors.
7: <laughs> <that we ever laughs> would own. you like to do
0: some... We gave them three lines each, some of them improvised, and, and <laughs> now yeah, I'm they're
5: very...
3: <laughs> To be fair,
5: Freya did also play the Australian cafe. The Hetty.
6: That's
0: right. That
6: That is true. true. Amen. We're talking about such wonderful humans like Peter Wicks. Um, I think now is a good time to shout out like all the creatives, all the actors and musicians and everyone who has has been there, you know, Peter's been somebody who has been with us since the beginning for live shows and has been a constant supportive presence and there has been so many wonderful benevolent humans who Mm. have who have been with us supporting us and been part of the you know the big old wooden overcoats family since the start and i I just i don't think that we could possibly thank them enough no matter what we did so for what it's worth thank you to every every person who's ever come to be a runner or come to a live show or or played the oboe or whatever it might be we are eternally grateful
4: we are and we actually have a message from one of them (laughs)
9: Hello, I've got a message from a famous musician. Aww. It's coming from Carl Kramer.
8: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hello,
14: <laughs> Hello. I'm Carl, one of the musicians from Wooden Overcoats Hiffling Philharmonic Orchestra. Yes. My favourite Me. memory from the Wooden Overcoat series is probably singing uh, Noggin's... Ode to Noggins, which I believe is series two. Funeral House Divided, I think, is the episode. James Whittle, his composing is brilliant. And he wrote such a serious, ridiculous, silly song about this legend, the grass uh, measurer of Piffling. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's probably my favourite memory. Uh, I loved doing everything from the mandolin playing to... All of the vocal work, like piffling Get them radio.
8: <laughs> hey. um, what a great
14: show! I'm such a fan. My favourite characters: Antigone, um, <sighs> Madeline, the House Mouse, and probably the Reverend. The Reverend's oh. hilarious. He's such a wild card. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, such a privilege to be part of Wooden Overcoats.
0: Ah, uh, I. I... I'm fabulous. I've forgotten that song. That was a that was a terrific song. That the musicians a, are yeah, maybe, yeah. You want to talk about good. Where music we've got comments. the most lucky, right? Like I think yeah. I don't know how everyone else feels, but as an actor and writer, like when I meet somebody who's very, very skilled as a composer or musician, I really feel like I'm <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm a pretender. I'm pretending to have some sort of skill that's quantifiable yeah. in any way. If I can see somebody who can play an instrument, I think well, well. Yeah. Um, what I do yeah. is is a sort of child's play. What I do is the equivalent of, of fitting the star-shaped block into the star-shaped hole in the <laughs> child's play set. You know, compared to someone who can play yeah. the mandolin, for example, as so I know Carl is
3: Kramer Carl can the do. the first person that you hear on the podcast is he the bang 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 bang. Oh my Carl god. Carl is
4: the uh the first person you hear on the show. Amazing. Mm. And I think we had a few chats where we sort of said with James that the mandolin is Rudyard <laughs> when it comes to the music.
3: No, I na, think that Carl na. is the only true Rudyard, to be honest.
8: Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Rudyard and the mandolin, the last question asking for musical moments, I think... Uh, we haven't quite appreciated <laughs> that time that Felix taught himself to play the mandolin oh, yeah. mm. to then have to pretend to be able to play it badly yeah.
3: uh, for undertaker. for the show. It was, well, it was originally, I think, a ukulele. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I had recently bought a mandolin <laughs> online. Uh, so we changed it to mandolin. Yeah. I, so I, I, I was sort of trying to learn anyway, and it was a happy coincidence. Uh, my mandolin is... Awful. I mean it's 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 got a pickup unusually, but it's a proper plazzy piece of junk. It sounds dreadful.
1: Have you got better during lockdown?
3: No, I've I've not touched it in a while. But if you are trying to learn the mandolin, I recommend MandoLessons.com. <laughs>
4: You heard it here We're first. It's no brought crap. to you by
3: yeah.
0: mandolessons.com. we until we get four. licensing money, okay? We <laughs> <laughs> need you, the are money.
6: You, are you
5: getting a bit of
3: like sideline sponsorship, Felix? For yeah. this stuff? <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy, let me ask you this. What hobbies have you picked up in lockdown? Has it been the mandolin? And if not, why not? Uh,
8: it, <laughs> it
5: hasn't been the mandolin. I've, been, I've, been, I've taken up 3D printing. I've got into making corporeal things because I spend nearly every day making noise and uh it, it comes a point where it's not actually that satisfying to send someone a digital file anymore and he wants to have made something that you can hold in your damn hands <laughs> <laughs> i'd love one day to like print uh wooden overcoats vinyl just so we can hold it like that amount of work that we've done like hours mm. and hours and hours just to actually hold something yeah. that we've made
6: I, I support that life goal yeah yeah wow. just 3d um,
0: print the waveform of episode one <laughs> and then that would take yeah. so long,
1: yeah.
8: <laughs> anyway, Do it. long. So.
0: <laughs>
4: i want
1: to wear it as a choker
4: oh yeah it would choke you <laughs> <laughs> like a, a renaissance ruff as a choker <laughs> just in pr- audio pr- print off
1: yeah. the theme tune. i want that
4: that'd be good yeah. oh that's a good idea
0: yeah, yeah we can
1: all wear it answering the question of the favorite music it's the theme tune because oh, okay. every time i hear it my heart mm-hmm. bursts and grows i have to say it is really it's, a it's like the
0: Poirot theme in that you have that kind of, <laughs> well it is, you have that kind of a bang, ba-bang, ba-bang, bang, bang, <laughs> bang,
8: Like you, It's memorable. <laughs> it has and a The interesting of thing about that
5: is
0: that it's still the
5: Series 1 recording, because we when we did the Series 1 thing, we did it in this big hall at York University, because uh, that's where James Whistle was still doing his PhD, was it? Yeah. Um, And it was where he could easily, let's be honest, press gang of musicians down to come and help us and we recorded it okay but we were kind of outsourcing a lot of like how you do that at that point before between john and i we got better at learning how to record music and there's something about just the feeling of it in this room where you're kind of hearing everyone playing at the same time this united thing where, where we tried to record it for, re-record it for series two and it just wasn't as
0: good <laughs> like it just didn't it perfect, have the yeah. impacts
4: and like yeah. the yeah
15: yeah
2: it's brilliant
4: Congrats, to James, on all of that work. James Whittle, the new Ronnie Hazelhurst, and the full piffling philharmonic. It is absolutely mm, incredible. Absolutely, it's yeah, fantastic. To have had like have an, an, an entire
3: orchestra
7: to do the music for the Not show. Not to bang that's on about
5: the music at the end of Series Three, Episode
0: Eight, one more time. But
5: I do remember when we recorded that in uh, in Tom's Dad's Church, uh, All Saints' Finchley. Yes,
0: that's right. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna say I was there, and and as that was being played, I cried.
3: I was there too.
0: And Felix was there. Felix also cried. I was mm-hmm. recording
5: it. I also cried. Yeah. I turned around and saw John. John was also crying. We all cried. It, like, well, and that was before we'd even mixed it. Just the sound of that being recorded brought
0: four of us immediately to tears.
8: Mm, it really <laughs> uh, did.
0: And then hearing it again, uh, remembering seeing it recorded, <laughs> it also made me cry, more so because I'd seen them playing it, but yeah.
3: It was very cathartic, that recording, I remember. Uh, I remember mm. that we, uh, I think we'd been so sort of, not on edge, but you know, you you can't help but have, be on a high after being stuck in a box recording a sitcom for five days. Yeah. And there was something about, Watching other people taking over and taking over a different flavor of it, that was very reassuring. It was like, it's over, but it's sort of not over. Don't worry, this this thing still exists, and good news, it's beautiful. But mm-hmm. as an
0: actor, you don't get that very often. You don't get to see any of the other no. uh, post production stuff. You don't get to see the score being recorded. You don't get to see the edit room. Often, as an actor, you just all you do is you try your best and don't then see you... your
3: costume no you never see, see a costume actors. you don't see
0: your own face ever uh they keep you in a just darkened box
3: covered in mud but you but don't, you alone. don't you don't
0: you don't you you normally as an actor you get your part you uh, if you're lucky you have a few days to prepare it and then you record it in the room doing the best you can then you leave and if you're lucky you ever hear it again but in this case you know because we're part of this independent production where we're all kind of have a bit of a hand in in various different areas of production. We get to then sit in a, a lovely church hall and hear this beautifully composed piece of music, which we've pictured abstractly before because we've seen the script. We've seen the, you know, the, the stage direction that says, you know, Madeline says that the hot air balloon rises up into the sky, she says this beautiful line, and, and then this plays us out to the end of the series. And then you you've done all that work and you've prepared the part, you've you've acted it. And then you sit there and you hear the music that's going to play when it happens. And it, what an amazing thing to experience. I would I would wager most Hollywood actors. I'd wager Tom Cruise after falling out of the 11th plane of the day doesn't actually get to see Hans Zimmer or whoever it is conducting the orchestra while that music is
4: recorded. And, and I've got to say, I was a rare and special privilege to see it happen. It is a privilege, and also, you know, for being a podcast, for being a radio drummer even, it's a privilege. It's Mm -hmm. not something that most people get to do, and it's a mark of how lucky we've been with the show. And the process, when um, we work with James and the musicians, but James particularly in this case, we sort of give him abstracts. We show him scripts, we give him abstract ideas, and then he goes away and turns it into magic. And then, you know, we might hear a MIDI file that comes back in the middle, but... To suddenly hear that come to life for real is is something else completely. I, I was going to ask
7: three seasons in, and still obviously a fourth uh, left to go, which is still uh, in the process of pre-production. There's still scripts being put together as we speak. But what people's sort of favourite moment of sort of doing the show had been, or if there was there was a single favourite moment of recording or writing or being in, or making that people had.
4: Tom Jansis, a fan of the show, actually asked this exact question, oh, so he'd excellent. love to hear the answer. <laughs>
9: Hello, it's Miss Scruple here again. We've got a call from Tom. Putting you through, dear.
3: A very happy birthday unto you, wooden overcoats. You don't look a day over free.
5: Tom Jance is here. Long-time listener, first-time recorder of audio notes. My question
4: is this. We all laugh at goofs and gags. Cast, were there any lines that you just had to keep doing again because you couldn't get your mouth round it or just... Got a
5: terrible case of the giggles, David. Similar. Any lines that you were chortling to yourself
4: late at night?
1: Kira, let's start with you. I love all my lines. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very that's correct answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you the writers. Yeah. <laughs> I can't <laughs> pick a favourite
6: right here. No, honestly, it's such
1: a joy playing Georgia. I I couldn't. How, how could I pick a favourite one? Uh, but I do. I do love the the consistency with. Uh, I guess my catchphrase of saying that I'm. <laughs> Great, everything. I do love saying that over and over again.
4: On Georgie's stuff, I think I'd, I'd say Rudyard Takes a Hike, Rosie Fletcher's amazing episode, where the scouts will go into the wood. Mm-hmm. Georgie's put-down lines of Chapman throughout that entire episode, <laughs> I think, are gold every single time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh,
5: hold Your Own Georgie is one of my favourite ones.
1: <laughs> oh, my God, yes. There's too many to list. This is what I mean. Like, how can I pick... That one's brilliant. I forgot Follow about you, that. Thanks for
8: reminding me. You hold me. your own, <laughs> you hold <laughs> your own <Jordy>. <laughs> <laughs> one
2: of the words, I was like, David, you. Uh, yes, yeah. I've already done it. And he oh did. My God. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That
1: one's fab. Uh, Beth, uh,
2: um, um, I have way too many brilliant lines. I have no idea, and I went. not even remember them. Just across
8: the square. When <laughs> 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 no, not that one.
2: <laughs> when I was asked <laughs> to be in this, Felix was like oh, David's written this thing. Do you want to play my sister? And I (laughs) was obviously terrified and had no idea what was going on. Those questions were
3: unrelated. (laughs) (laughs) And I would like to pick up that conversation again. (laughs) Let's come
2: to it. When I first saw the first episode and um, Antigone appears and uh, she has this line about what she's been up to and she said a tiny, a tiny dash of cinnamon. And that's the point where I was like, Okay, I can do this. I understand <laughs> what this person is like. I understand how she says this. So that was a massive relief, and it's been a joy ever since, really. Hasn't it, very just? Very, very, lucky.
4: Hasn't it, Joss? Just... Liz, as someone who has watched uh, the entire series come together, um, what is a line yes. that's stuck with you?
6: Oh, God. I mean, uh, the line that David will never lid down because he didn't write it. Yes. Um, I knew it would come out. Yes. Ah. Um, sugar. Christ. No, Georgie, this isn't a brothel, which um, oh. everyone quotes as their favorite it line. it was
0: Cordelia Lynn, Royal Court uh, playwright. Uh, no, was... Who wrote that, I'm pretty sure. It, you know it wasn't. It was you, it Tom Frey. It was you. Uh,
8: <laughs> how dare you.
0: My, my favorite uh, line, which I'm almost certain was written by David K. Barnes, was to, for me to perform, was... We've got Michael Douglas. I I thought it was. (laughs) I mean, but the thing is, with David's writing, you can't just pick out one line because you have to get the build-up of it. And to do that adequately, I'd have to dig the script up and then read every single part, which we've already had this evening, so I'm not going to do it again. But uh, yeah, that was one of my favourite to deliver, certainly. My favourite window!
8: But again, with the
0: build-up would be better, but we can't do it. (laughs)
5: But uh, that you know. that performance by uh, Pip Gladwin, who did a little uh, cameo earlier, is incredible because it's a Wilhelm scream of a performance. It is. So he does, <laughs> My favourite window. He goes, like, "My favourite
8: window." <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible
5: ah! of uh, uh, exclamation. Yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh yeah. man, Felix.
3: Oh, uh, I I always like it when Rudyard. Uh, he's got this kind of second mode where he goes very introspective and very (laughs) inner, and starts to question everything he's ever done and where he's going in his future. And I like all of those softer moments with Rudyard. But the line that really rings in my ears, and I hear it quite often, is uh, after a very dramatic moment, after the cave-in, when when Antigone and Chapman uh, are stuck and Rudyard's trying to get them in, is Alison Skilbeck turning to Andy Singicum and going, have you got a bucket of sand? <laughs> <laughs>
8: uh,
14: oh, uh, incredible stuff.
3: <laughs> Cracking Alison
4: Skilbeck impression. Oh thing. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, very good. Very David, uh, as, a, as, a, as a callback, what's your Alison Skilbeck?
7: <laughs> Too many sweets.
4: I've got My line is not aligned so much, but I love going through the scripts. And David has put these audio directions in that are easy to write. Let's put oh, them yes. that way. They're easy to write <laughs> and, yeah. and incredibly fun to record. But when it then comes to actually making these things sound like they have some sort of semblance in reality, it's it's fun. But there's a there's a Madeline line in episode six of series one, where it's something like and there was a yacht-shaped shape, which turned out to be a yacht. <laughs> and then it's just written in the the subtitles. A yacht appears. A gangplank is put down with a party going on, and people come aboard the rowboat.
13: <laughs> this is basic
0: stuff. You're supposed to be radio producers. <laughs> Why on earth is this so difficult for you? I think there
7: was.
6: Wasn't David the man who wrote the direction "Lions Cry"?
7: I was going to say this we should be like a, a lion roars sadly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the owls
5: attack. Like, right? I've literally got a video open on Reddit right now. Uh, which is about how owls don't make any yes. sound with yes. their yes. wings.
4: So
14: aggressive so as, hooting.
4: As the person who did both of those sound effects in the show, mm. the the lions, the sad the sad lions are actually lions copulating. Um, oh God! Nice. Oh. Um, oh no.
15: How did you get that? <laughs> well, routine. that's
4: the sexiest
3: moment.
15: Yes. There yes. no, you go. Yeah.
5: John and I went on a uh, on a on a safari a
3: few years ago.
8: <laughs> End of story.
7: <laughs> I mean, surely uh, yeah. one important sound effect is. I think in season one, I think it's the cliffhanger, which is the sound of an angry cat being thrown into a bin. Oh, it's which so I don't good. believe yeah. is a real cat. Who was? No, that's who, who, Beth. Eyre. was that's that Beth. Beth Eyre? it's
5: um,
2: uh, partly, partly, partly yeah. Beth. Eyre.
5: Uh It's a it's a, it's a huge <laughs> composite of different bits. But I I had I had Beth do a cat impression while attacking a pillow. Um, which was hugely helpful and then i threw said pillow into a bin and recorded that and then uh and then i did a composite of myself screaming and a cat to make the sound of it flying away so when it's when it's immediately (laughs) near you that's the start of a cat going ah, and then it it, having the full scream and landing in the bin had to be me because i couldn't find a cat sound effect that did it properly (laughs) so that was that was a lot, a lot
4: going into Kat is
5: putting mm-hmm. in. I'd uh, like to <laughs>
4: point out that me and Andy were housemates at this time and shared rooms next to each other, and our yeah. neighbours must have thought <laughs> we were no. insane. Yeah, um,
3: <laughs> your neighbours was us.
4: Yeah, <laughs> and we did. Yeah, I, I stand by it. <laughs> on on favourite moments from the yeah. show, I I think. We've had an awful lot from Miss Scruple this episode, and we said earlier, Ellie Dickens is extraordinary. Here's a little something from Ellie herself.
9: Oh, my goodness. Well, I think my most special moment would have been my very first appearance. And I just had the one speech to do. And I did it, you know, sort of as one does. And what was wonderful was I had to do it a couple more times because the people on the other side were laughing so loudly it penetrated the (laughs) booze. And I didn't think I was that funny, but everybody else did. So that was great, and that's my best memory.
8: Oh. Oh, oh, that's so true. Oh, that's it's very, very
9: true. Funny. That's that so We used to funny. get people
0: in for one line. Oh, <laughs> we would not do
5: that anymore. Times passed.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Ellie, you were that funny. Uh That's, yes. <laughs> that's the reason that the really laughter yeah.
2: Smashed through the
0: walls. Yeah. I, f- I think my favorite Ellie Dickens
7: line reading is somewhere in season three when she's trying to put Rudyard. She's coming to hit up Radyard and goes, yeah, sack. get in the sack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so warm and yet sinister,
7: authoritative, you would do it. Isn't
0: can't. Isn't the, yes. the follow-up line to that, I shan't say why. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes
8: it is. I shan't say as, as good if not better,
0: yeah. <laughs> I think there's also something lovely about the way she <laughs> says,
8: OK, vicar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ellie Dickens always absolute gold. Uh a
4: genius. So good. Yeah. She Aww. is. She is fantastic. And thank you so much, Ellie, for voicing the script for this.
5: and for thank being on Switchboard. I mean,
1: yeah. When yeah. when did
5: this happen? <laughs> <I> think, well, <laughs> no, that yeah. was what a nice That's...
1: surprise. What's... I think yeah.
7: her, having this sort of really uh, this, uh, in, exceptional cast of sort of uh, actors of of so many different sort of uh, backgrounds and, and 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 talents, and being able to work with. Uh, you know, all, all of us and also people like Andy Seekham and Alison Skillbeck uh, mm, and amazing. Sean Baker, Steve Paul Putner. We've had so many incredible actors. Uh, Belinda Lang doing Madeline. It's just an exceptional privilege to work with such very, very talented and funny uh, actors uh, consistently who've also been happy enough to come back, which is always mm. the sign of, uh, of things going well, is if the actor wants to come back and do it again.
0: Um, These are people who should be might- beating us up for our milk money in the schoolyard, you know, yes. in, in the acting field. Yet- they should mm. they should be drubbing us mercilessly and stealing our lunch money, but they're not. They're helping us out, which is astonishing. Yeah, I remember actually my favourite
7: moment for recording the show, if it is, and I'm really glad. Georgina and the Waves, I think is season one, episode six, has yeah. come for a few people. Was that song one which that first recording week, which was I think four days, in which we did eight episodes and were absolutely sort of brain dead. Doing it just was so uh, all the energy had been sort of sucked out of us, but it was an incredible experience having all these people doing all these scripts, and it was an absolute sort of whirlwind. But Georgina in the ways has always been kind of my private favourite episode of the scripts I'd written at least for that season, and it is the uh, with all the silliness that goes on in the show and all the wackiness and strange characters that the um, the clifftop argument of Rudyard and Antigone while Georgie's is trying to mediate and Eric is sort of across the way in his ship, that was the sort of argument which I remember we did several. Times between, especially if, um, the, the higher yeah, uh, register of it between um, Felix and Beth. And that was the scene which I kept thinking if we get this scene right, not necessarily like then the show will work, because a lot of it is clearly working, but I will personally be in, I will feel that yes, we, on a personal level, we have done an absolute perfect job. This is the hmm. scene, it was the scene that meant the most to me in writing it. I mean, it was it, for me the sort of private linchpin of the whole season and kind of ethos of the show itself and listening over several takes then the final take which I assume must be the one that we actually used uh, of Felix and Beth doing that argument and the uh, just not good enough and Raja's rejoinder was the moment for me uh, that was the most magical moment I think the mo- most magical sort of few minutes of the entire recording week and still I think Stanza was probably one of my the most electric moments of ever recording the show because it was just this moment of yes there's a calm acceptance of yes I think this show is really good I think it's going to be a really good show and I'm so pleased <laughs>
4: Yeah, it was absolutely stunning, and I think it's the move both in the writing and in the characters where you know these characters are going places. They're not going to be stuck in their roles that you heard in series one. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. There's been a
5: few wonderful moments like that across recording the series, and they're always in the studio. I find like it's it's lovely putting it together, putting it out, and seeing the uh like the, how the audiences receive it. But it's when you're watching this wonderful cast come together and make it. And also when you're kind of watching it through the gaze of people coming in for a day to watch it happen. And one of my favourite ones of those was when we were doing three and Julia Deacon was in for the day to (laughs) uh, finish Nana Crusoe. And when we did series one, she gave me a real chewing out for a bit of direction that she didn't love. And then she came back in series three and did an incredible job as Nana in that Mm. last episode. Like really Mm -hmm. unbelievable performance. And at the end of the day, gave me a preemptive telling off for ever undervaluing the show and it was a really incredible moment where you know she's one of my absolute like comedy idols I mean if you if you haven't watched spaced dear listener go and watch spaced uh among um wonderful other things and and she kind of took me to one side and went you've got something good here <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that that's beautiful I, Hope so oh, I was that's...
0: like yeah she did the same don't to mess me. It up. look after it um yeah she did the exact same yeah. to me she was as if I hadn't seen these scripts before we were sitting in a sort of waiting room to go in and do the recording and she was saying you get some scripts sometimes don't you where you just go well this really hasn't got it you know whatever it is this just hasn't got it but this is funny like pointing <laughs> at the page <laughs> yeah. as if that was a massive surprise to me With or anyone Jerry. else yeah. like no no hang on wait shut up this is funny and I, I went yeah. well I thank you Julia the uh, venerable you know expert at yeah. comedy, I will pay attention to what you're saying and I'll recognise that this is what funny is. And is. and I've never forgotten that. I've never it's a, uh, devalued I mean, that. Th- that episode of, like, that's for Georgina
7: and the Ways of Julia Deacon coming in for, I think, possibly ten lines. Yeah, and about sort of, ten lines, do, yeah. Doing them all brilliantly. And you've got yeah, it's Tom Tucker doing a oh, wonderfully <laughs> over-the-top performance and over over there on a the ship there's a brief scene of Alison comes in and there's Andy Seacombe vomiting over the side of a boat and, and Steve was there. <laughs> and he's just, yeah, this sort of all these actors in one place it was it was a really it's just a really joyful thing and i will have to say though one of the lines i do even quote to myself sometimes is still we've got michael douglas that is still one of mine as well <laughs> we've got Can we got michael douglas him? no
4: <laughs> yes no i, don't know. That <laughs> is, I yeah, that's Tom. right that is don't, the best don't bit. you don't you play Michael Douglas actually in the sound design? Yeah, you in know, there. my father was Kirk Douglas. If you listen very closely, <laughs> <and> that's <laughs> what you can hear me say in the in the wallah of that scene. Um, we're going to wrap up, I think, because we've been talking for a very very long time. But do we have
3: any more listener questions? We have quite a few.
4: I want to play you one just really beautiful one that I I think you will enjoy.
9: Hello. <laughs> See, again, we've got a reverse charge call from <laughs> Vancouver, Canada.
16: <gasps> huh? w- will you accept it? No? Yes, yeah, sure. Yes. yes. Well, yeah. right. Hi, my name is Megan, and I'm 21 years old from Vancouver, Canada. I started listening to Wooden Overcoats in late 2016 in my first ever term of university when I felt at my most isolated. But listening to this podcast, I found a family in the characters of Piffling Vale and the community surrounding the show. Wooden Overcoats made me laugh when sometimes I couldn't find it in myself to get out of bed. It inspired me to be creative, drawing fan art for the first time in years, and listening through the episodes to mash up every time Felix Trench screams Chapman. Mm. It's over 200 (laughs) times in four seasons, if you're wondering. It stayed with me through several moves to several cities over the years, and the familiar voices of the cast were a constant comfort through these periods of transitions. I doodled quotes from the show and the coffin logo all over my lecture notes, even through to my second and third years of uni. I've laughed, I've cried, both publicly on a bus and in my sister's room to her shock, as she was under the assumption it was a comedy podcast. But I've always felt at home listening to the show, despite the endless days of trying to explain to people that it's a podcast. No, it's fiction, like a British sitcom but for your ears about funeral homes was the best show I'd ever (laughs) listened to. In the early days of quarantine, I re-listened to the entire show, specials and all, and reflected on how much this show has meant to me over the years and how much love I have for it in my heart. I was so overwhelmed with affection for the show that I emailed David K. Barnes, who, by the way, is the world's nicest man, and by some luck, it didn't end up in his junk mail. We bonded over moving in uni to assert our independence, Wolf 359, and the importance of found families. The kindness of everyone I have ever interacted with about the show has been overwhelming and incredible, from the writers to the cast to the fans. I feel so lucky to be even one small part of such a special family. Happy five-year anniversary, Wooden Overcoats. Where did the time go? I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy.
4: Oh Isn't that yeah. such a beautiful well, that I mean, oh frankly, that's wow. exactly that was why... That's
0: yeah,
2: an incredible and message. Yet,
0: that's why we ever got involved in any industry relating to this. I mean, we all felt the exact same way the first time we saw any number of sitcoms when we were young people and and we felt the exact that's same way. We true. Comedies and dramas, comedies especially for me, And and, you know, it, it is exactly that. That's why we set out to make these things is to create comedy characters because comedy, well, let's be honest, it's better than drama. And and that's why we make a comedy podcast. It is the Ooh, best one. broad claims. Uh, it is. It just is. That's the thing. It, it just is better than yeah, drama. Yeah. And and the reason is, for exactly that reason, is that we've connected in that way. And that that is maybe the most rewarding thing we could possibly hear be- for the very reason that that's why so many other comedy programs connected with us in the exact same way and it means so much that we could do the same thing for you.
2: Mm, it really
0: does. I was say, actually, uh, Megan, I do remember uh, that email exchange
7: and talking about the sort the of themes of the show and times at university and the rest of it. I do remember uh, that exchange and I think the conversation that we had over those emails um, got me thinking a great deal about the themes that would uh, later go to shape season four, um, which is so in the process of being written uh, still as we speak. So a uh, very valuable um, sort of a conversation that really got me thinking and thank you so much for sending in uh, that message. I, I always, I always think that the, the the mistake people make about comedy is assuming it to, it ought to be funny. I, I I think it's always very helpful if it doesn't have to be, and you just make people cry at the end. I think, I think every comedy, right? Mm. Sad
8: You're comedy. yourself, David. <laughs>
7: sad comedy is what I want. Endless, endless people failing and then having to get up and
3: carry on doing it anyway. That's what I want. And, uh, <laughs> it it strikes me listening to that that one name that you can say in a very
4: similar way to Chapman
8: is
4: (laughs) well I think I'd like to say thank you to everyone who wrote in who who sent us voice notes we haven't got through quite all of them but they were all brilliant and I assure you we'll all have read uh, every single one of them even if they didn't get Featured on the show. We're still working towards season four. We are going to make it. It is going to come out the moment we can get into a studio to record it safely with our cast. But thank you, everyone, for coming together to celebrate five years of Wooden Overcoats. This has been really brilliant. Yay! I'm so glad we did this. Thank you
5: for those beautiful questions and yeah that was yeah it, wow what a treat what a treat yeah, nice to, see yeah, to see all your faces again you
15: beautiful people
0: yeah lovely to see all of you gang and lovely to hear from everyone who wrote in yeah. incredible
1: here on zoom special
3: guest uh, pip gladwin
1: yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Special,
5: yeah. special guest and andy's housemate pip gladwin i'm sure it's much more special <laughs> for all of you
1: <laughs> special,
4: <laughs>
7: special guest ellie dickens as well as yeah uh, yes oh, a, wow. i oh, want them both stuff.
1: to be my housemate <laughs>
4: oh <laughs> Well, happy birthday, Wooden Overcoats, thank you to- Happy Bloomin' Birthday. Happy
1: Happy Happy
8: Piffling Birthday, birthday, everyone. Happy Birthday. And we've
4: said it enough throughout the show to lots of different people, but the show really wouldn't be possible without a really large number of incredibly talented people. Over 100, 150 now, isn't it? Must be. Must be. So we're so grateful to them, and so grateful to you for all listening uh still and we can't wait to bring you more shows I and suppose. a big
5: round of applause for john for cutting all those questions together yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thank you, thank you.
15: Well done, john. to be an undertaker sometimes it kind of makes you want to be the one that's stands It can be so very lonely When you feel that you're the only One you stuck inside your head I'm surrounded by coffins But the truth here, of course, is I get the body in the coffin in the ground on time Yes, the ground on time I get the body in the coffin in the ground on time I got the body in the coffin and the ground on time Yes, the ground on time I got the body in the coffin